Welcome to my new podcast, Double Dutch. I'm your host, Yoav Rosenthal, a current junior. I'm super excited to showcase unique experiences from different people across the collegiate community. Make sure to stay tuned to hear great advice and stories from students, alums, and faculty. Welcome to the first episode of Double Dutch. My name is Yoav Rosenthal, and today our inaugural speaker is the head of school, Mr. Laurie. Hello, how are you? Thanks for having me on as the inaugural guest. Great to have you on the show. I'm sure everybody would love to hear more about your background. Sure. You know, this is, as I think you and your listeners know, it's my first year here at Collegiate, just about to get into month number four, I think it is. We're right on the edge of November. Came here from Charlottesville, Virginia. I was the head of school at St. Anne's Belfield down there. My daughter is a senior, so she is finishing up after, oh gosh, how many years? 14 years where she started in preschool. My son there started in first grade back in 2006. Before that, I lived in California at a boarding school. I was there for six years and then seven years before that in Tampa, Florida, where I started my teaching career and did some school administration down there as well. But from the Boston area, that's where I grew up. Sounds great. So going back to your high school, I know you came back from an all-boys school environment. Mm-hmm. So what was your favorite high school memory? And also, what was your biggest challenge? That's a tough one. You know, there, there was a lot that happened. I was at Roxbury Latin for three years. I was from the public schools all the way from kindergarten through ninth grade, and then I transferred over. So I had three years at RL, but they were very full. You know, tried to do as much as I could. I would say that the, the two favorite memories is one was being the editor-in-chief of the newspaper, the school newspaper, which was a big deal there, just as it is, I think, here at Collegiate. And that was a really nice experience to have. And then probably my senior year musical, Pirates of Penzance. It was a fun show. I'd like to think it was a really good show. And we had a lot of people in the cast from my grade who'd never done a show before. So that was just kind of fun to have, have a bunch of us do it together. You know, the hardest part, you know, was probably coming in in 10th grade. I was one of two who entered the school then. While I I always felt it was a very welcoming place and, you know, felt at home there, you know, still you're, you're joining a school pretty late in the game and not only getting to know people, but you have to adjust to the program and the academics. Yeah, that sounds like a lot similar to collegiate and sort of the adjustments and like the connections you created. Sure. So in your first email to the upper school, like your welcoming email, you um, had this quote by Maya Angelou and it said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So in terms of this quote, who is someone in your life that's made you feel something that you remember because of the way they made you feel? Well, as as I wrote in my in my letter, which I think you probably where you saw this quote, as I wrote about in my head of school, Mr. Jarvis, certainly he is the first person who comes to mind, and that's that's because you know I always felt during my years at, at RL that he cared about me and and cared about my classmates. He was so authentic in his concern and wanting to know how we were doing and checking in, asking. I don't know what I'd call real questions about us, if that makes sense. You know, it always felt, again, very, very authentic. And then also he was a hard truths teller, if you understand my meaning there, is that, you know, he, if he had an opinion about something that he disagreed with, with something someone had done, 
he was going to tell you. And I think that even those, those weren't great feelings. Sometimes you like to forget those feelings. You realize in hindsight how important those are. So he, he would certainly be someone that I will always remember about how he made me feel during those years that I was here and in the in years that we stayed in touch afterwards. Yeah, you mentioned, like I guess, like the loving bluntness that yeah, some people provide. Exactly. Yeah. Truth in the light is, is what yeah, he always exactly. shared with us. That's great. And then I remember another thing. I'm not sure if it was in the same email, but you also mentioned how, I mean, even now you're also mentioning how you came from a uh, different from boarding school. And you mentioned how boarding school is extremely different from a day school mm-hmm. and how student life at collegiate stops at four, which it doesn't at boarding school. So yeah. what aspects of boarding school life do you want to implement at collegiate? I'll give a broad answer. And, and I don't think that that necessarily has to be one or the other is that what happens at boarding school when I was the head of Midland in California, you know, you, you're just there all day long. So there is a constancy you know, you're living together. You're not living necessarily in the same quarters, of course, but, you know, you're, you're living together from morning until night. So there are just relationships that get built. You know, you can't avoid it in, in a setting like that when you're seeing people so often, so intensely. And I, I think that there's always something you can try to capture in that, where even in a day school where people do go home at night, I think you always want to have as your goal during the day that you're building those authentic, deep relationships, you know, similar to what Mr. Jarvis had, RL was a day school. You know, one thing that, that Midland had in particular that I think was important to its, its being a boarding school is that there was a work ethic that we all shared, a deep ownership of the school, and I would even characterize that like the physical grounds of it. There was no custodial or maintenance staff at Midland. We did all the cleaning. We did all the fixing. We did the building if it was permissible. And kind of that, that ethos of really owning the place, caring for your place. And I, I can't say whether that's necessarily the case here. I've been around the building and, of course, seen people here and seems like people take good care of the place. But I think that's, that's also something I would love to see here. And if it's not, to develop it here. Yeah, that like ownership that you kind of talked about that you experienced, it reminds me of the brotherhood mm-hmm. that is so often mentioned at Collegiate in and out of the building. That's right. Yeah. That's such an important piece is that, you know, this is your school. This is not Mr. Laurie's school. And let me tell you how things are going to work. I mean, there's certain aspects, of course, of that. But, you know, I hear from alums as well. You know, current students, I hear about it. And as, as you've described, and I hear it from alums. So, sustaining, maintaining, nurturing that ownership by students, I think is incredibly important. Talking about sustaining the ownership of the school, COVID is making it a lot more complex and changing how we go to school, how we interact with each other, and so many other aspects. Right. So when, and hopefully, I mean, it will, when life goes back to normal Mm -hmm. and whatever that normal is, like what changes do you think that we're going to keep? I think some of these technological capabilities and the tools that we've been able to employ. And obviously, they were done largely to support remote learning, or in this case, the hybrid piece. We have a number of folks here, but some folks remote. I think that those tools and facilitating teaching and learning, I'd be surprised if those go away. I think they can be employed in certain ways as we, you know, hopefully, as you said, get back to normal very soon. 
you know, I, I, I don't like to say this because I think we're so immersed in Zoom and probably have overall Zoom fatigue. At the same time, I think that we have discovered that Zoom can help us stay in touch, right? You can communicate easily with people who are not with you. And, you know, you can do that in a classroom setting, but I think we've also used it to facilitate our social lives, to connect with family. So, you know, I I see that technological piece being something that I don't think goes away very quickly and maybe can be even leveraged to a greater degree when we're back in person and under normal circumstances. Yeah, that's great. And also talking about how Zoom is like connecting all of us together. Like it's not just, as you said, academic. Right. I mean, I know, I mean, personally, like I remember like Zoom Passovers and all yeah. these different things that you're using yep. it for whatever you want. Yeah. And then you also talked, I mean, going back kind of a little bit, you talked about that ownership and like the trust that you had with your old headmaster, head of school. And that close trust is also, that, and that bond between students and teachers, I think it's been collegiate's calling card for decades. Yep. And in the past few years, collegiate's culture has been changing and there's been some people saying that like, the trust has started to fade. Hmm. So what do you think the school can do to kind of reclaim this special culture of trust that has distinguished us for the past almost 400 years? I would say that when it comes to trust, I think that there's, there's a few things. I mean, one again is when we talk about ownership, a shared ownership, of course, at least that question of ownership of what. And so that clarity of the what is is really important. And I think building trust comes with being clear with one another about who we are, what we believe, what we value. We want hopefully everyone to buy into that. So I think, again, trust starts with clarity. You know, you want to know where I'm coming from, what I believe and that, secondly, with trust, I think that you and others would like to see actions reflect that. You know, the, the, right? The old adage, adage is, you know, you do what you say you're going to do. So I, I think, you know, I can't speak to rebuilding trust that may have been eroded, but, you know, just to say that this is who I am. I hope we can all agree on what this school believes in and that the actions that follow that, people will be able to say, okay, he does what he says he's going to do. And the same with admin and faculty. And I would also extend that to students. And then finally, I think with trust, it gets to communication and transparency tied in again to that clarity earlier. You know, we're not going to agree on everything. I've certainly learned this in the time of COVID when you're making difficult decisions. But I think being transparent about what you're doing, why, building understanding, I think is also very important in building and sustaining trust. Yeah, and that understanding, like we've kind of been, or the school and the admin has been developing that through all, all the task forces that you guys have implemented. Right. And I remember last year you brought in a lot of the upper school students and we kind of talked about what our symbols represented and that's kind of right. the basis of like thinking before acting. Absolutely, you know, and, and listening. It's also important in building trust is you want to hear what, what's on other people's minds and you want to keep an open mind I think that's an important piece as well. Some Instagram accounts came up over the summer because mm-hmm. a few came out and they were posting about how Collegiate has failed some of its community members. So what do you think, and, we, and we've talked, and many people have talked about this, yeah. students to students, faculty to students, I'm sure in the administration. So what do you think is the next step in bringing the community closer? Yeah, I mean, the accounts were painful to read. You know, as you said, these accounts of, of how the school has fallen short and these experiences that community members have had 
you know, think about it also in the context of the open letters from students about their experiences here and ways the school can be better. So, you know, next step, it's really next steps. I think going back to the previous answer, the first step is listening, is to reading the post, reading these letters, engaging with people, and really genuinely listening, not defending, not trying to explain, but really just listening. The dialogue tours that have started here at the school is part of that process. There were lots of dialogues over the summer with various groups, but these are going on right now. They're facilitated. This is part of this process of hearing and healing and also gathering input. You know, what can the school do? What steps can the school take that will help us become a community of genuine inclusion and belonging? So that process has been happening. It's underway. We have, as I said earlier, with the open letters, some steps that have been recommended. And Mr. Vidal, there's a roadmap that's been created of very specific things that we should be doing. You know, workshops, training, certainly. You know, those are some, I don't want to say basic, but these are, these are things that have to be ongoing whatever changes may need to be made to policies, transparency, I said earlier, that's another part of of this. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Are we standing behind our beliefs? So I think there's a lot of steps and there are things that we can lay out and accomplish. And then there are also things that will be continually addressed. They will be ongoing parts of building and sustaining a healthy culture here. Yeah. And you also, you mentioned the word belonging and it's such, that means a different thing to everyone, like how someone belongs in the community or yeah. belongs in a school or belongs in a grade. It differs for everyone. So I guess for you, like, how do you think, like, if you belong somewhere, how would you describe that? Like, how would that look for you? Is that one genuinely feels that I have a place here. I have a place here as myself, that I don't have to walk into the doors and become someone else in order to belong, in order to fit in. So whoever I am, what I bring to the table, I feel this sense of being seen, of being heard, being valued. And that again, that saying of, I have, oh, I have a place here. This is a place for me. And, you know, circling back to that earlier question, you know, that that's that to me, what was so remarkable about Roxbury Latin, because in my previous years of school, public school, I never felt a place of belonging. Full stop, never. Like, you know, maybe early on in elementary, but as the schools got bigger and the circumstances changed, I, I, as I look back on it, that's really what was lacking. And I just recall so early on arriving at RL and, and being, wow, like I belong here. I don't have to stop doing musicals or theater in order to fit in, you know, to give you a very specific example. And so I think that's what we have to be striving for. Do you think that if you hadn't gone to that, to that public school before you moved to RL, do you think you would have seen it a little differently? Because I know a lot of people, they've been in collegiate since kindergarten. They're what we call survivors. And then there's also plenty of kids who have come in 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, even 11th grade, some people. So do you think like, I mean, I'm sure there's a divide between how each person feels like whether they came in in kindergarten mm-hmm. or in 10th grade, and that goes back to the belonging. So how do you think that affected you switching over? Yeah, I mean, and I'll just echo what you said. I, I can't 
speak for others who've had this, you know, 13-year experience or 12-year, whatever it adds up to being. But yeah, I mean, certainly I, I guess you could say I benefited from the comparison. And really, they could not have been any different, really, in terms of experience. So that probably is what made it right so impactful for me that in a really short amount of time, right, three months from June to September, I was in a completely different setting. And so I, I would never say I appreciate it more, but I did I, I appreciated it intensely because of that difference. Yeah, it gave you like the two different lenses yeah. to kind of look at mm-hmm. to look, look through things. Okay, so now is when we have to get really serious. <laughs> Netflix. What's your favorite show? I am just getting to the end of Shit's Creek, as a matter of fact. I have seen that. Have you it's seen it? Very, it's it's really good. I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a yeah. very funny show. Yep. I never quite fancied myself someone who would binge watch a show. Maybe it's the circumstances. My family's still back in Charlottesville, so I got a lot of time on my hands. But I also find it to be maybe the, maybe the perfect pandemic TV show. Lots of laughter, funny characters and situations, and it's a really nice escape. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Well, if anyone wants to, needs a show to watch, I guess Shit's Creek is yep. it's where to go. Good one. Yep. And what I just wrapped up recently, Ozark as well. So hoping there's another season of that coming up at some point. Yeah, 100%. That's great. All right. Well... That's all I have. Yo, thank you. Thank you so much for being the first speaker on this podcast, and hopefully we'll have many more. Well, I appreciate it. Your speakers can only get better from here. (laughs) I doubt it, but we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Good luck with this new podcast. Thank you so much. 